Hello and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, the weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk to professors and scholars about the research they're doing, what they're discovering, and what it means for the rest of us. It's a real pleasure to have this week Professor Joseph Bahout, who's also director of the Aysan Faris Institute of Public Policy and International Affairs, and an associate professor of political science in the political studies and public administration department. He has a rich background of research and academic work in uh, in uh, Europe and the United States and Lebanon and the Middle East, um, and it's a great pleasure to have him also on, on the program today. Thanks for being with us, Joseph. Thanks to you, Rami. Thanks a lot, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You bet. So you have worked in many areas of political science and international affairs, um, research, analysis, teaching. Uh, tell us what you're focusing on now, whether it's at, at the Hassan Ferris Institute, in your personal studies, or maybe you blend all these things together now. Uh, yeah, indeed. In fact, it's, uh, it's a bit of a blend now because, uh, you know, uh, when you're leading a, a kind of huge institution like uh, IFI, you have to take care about uh, many issues that uh, you have not forcibly tackled before in your previous life. Uh, for example, I'm uh, now responsible of a program in energy, a program in climate change or a program in education. And these were not uh, really fields that I was uh, exactly familiar with. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm, uh, I have to take care of all that and keep an eye on, on the broad picture uh, from a Lebanese perspective, but also a regional perspective. But also I'm trying, besides that, to uh, not to lose my, uh, my own interest in research and not to uh, forget that, in fact, I'm still an academic, I'm teaching, I'm writing, and I'm still interested in the things that have interested me for more than now uh, three decades. Uh, what are these issues that I was always interested in? Uh, both in Lebanon and the Middle East, in fact, I, uh, I started my, my research mainly focused on things having to do with the political economy of the region. Uh, when I uh, when I first graduated, my first uh, my first dissertation was on uh, the liberalization in Syria. You know, with the big questions mm -hmm. that were raised in the 90s about uh, the, the nexus or the articulation between uh, political uh, economic liberalization and political liberalization. From there, I moved to uh, an interest in political and economic elites, per se. Mm -hmm. So I moved a bit to uh, political sociology. And mm -hmm. from there, in fact, it widened because I started to be interested. And this is maybe uh, what I'm interested today, personally. I started to be interested in political formulas in diverse and heterogeneous societies, post-war uh, political pacts, uh, a bit like Lebanon after the war, or now today in the Arab region with the Arab Revolution and what's happening. Of course, with uh, also a huge interest in international affairs, the evolution of the international system, uh, the power plays in the Middle East, and, and things that have to do with the East-West relations in general. So I'm trying to, um, let's say, to blend all this, to find a balance, in fact, between all these, 
And what I'm learning today a lot, and this is maybe something we'll talk about, is uh, the things that I have never really given a thought about uh, that we are working on at IFI. And I'm seeing increasingly the, the interaction and the, the impact of these issues on policy, on day-to-day -day life, on, on political construction, mm -hmm. and on, on reform or uh, the lack uh, thereof in the mm -hmm. Arab world. Mm -hmm. So if you take this big picture which you've just drawn in terms of multiple dimensions of, of statehood, society, politics, governance, and political economy in different Arab countries, looking at the Middle East and relations with the world, this is a multidimensional, always uh, moving uh, universe. I've tracked this process myself in my, well, 52 years now of work in reporting and journalism mm -hmm. and, and recently in academia. Um, and, and I want to ask you a question uh, which comes out of my own uh, work and, and relates very much to what you're looking at. And the question is, you, you talked about political leaderships and, and mechanisms for political formulas in diverse societies. So are we at a point in the region today where the uh, Arab world, at least, um, is running up against the problem of the fact that the states that came into being after World War I are really showing their age and maybe their lack of strong foundations within their anchorage in their societies, in their uh, mm -hmm. identities of religious identities, tribal identities, pan-Arab identities, whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it uh, exactly. This is this is the, one of the main points. In fact, you know, uh, we have we have very recently lost a um, a huge figure in in our discipline in political science on the Middle East. Uh, Michael Hudson passed mm -hmm. away a few a few months ago or a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, and Michael was uh, very well known for his seminal and founding book, foundational book uh, that mm -hmm. was called Arab Politics, and the subtitle was The Quest for Legitimacy. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, probably the, let's say, the congenital uh, disease of, of this region is that, in fact, the state system uh, has always been something that was um, kind of floating above society uh, without real ties with the dynamics of society. And the paradox is that at the same time, the state was completely, in fact, uh, also a reverberation of the societal divides. I mean, the clanic, mm -hmm. tribal, sectarian, and etc. So it was both uh, very much intrinsically related to society in a way, but in the bad sense of the term. But at the same time, uh, its fierceness, its coerciveness, its... Uh, let's say, uh, lack of uh, responsiveness to the basic needs of people gradually uh, detached and really separated the state structure from uh, societal dynamics. Now, if we... I mean, it's interesting that you, your question you, you, you traced back uh, to, the, to the 20s mm -hmm. and the formation of this region. Yes, in the beginning, probably after the Sykes-Picot agreement, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the formation of the states, the modern state system in the Arab world, probably that uh, the diseases was, were, were partly or largely due to the, let's say, the remnant of the colonial system or uh, imperialism, uh, the legacy of the mandates, the legacy of the Western structure over 
uh, and above societies and and the political system. Uh, This lasted probably uh, until something like or somewhere like the the 50s and the 60s. After that, the local elites or at least uh, the, let's say, the militaristic systems of the Middle East, the coup d'etats that happened in uh, countries like Iraq, Syria, Egypt, Libya or Algeria after liberation, took over uh, and took on after that and also probably perpetuated a kind of, um, let's say, post-colonial system that was, in fact, also very much... um, uh, in, in, in negation or at least in ignorance of society's, uh, society's basic and, and very day-to-day needs. Uh, you know, there was a slogan in the Arab world, in, in Arab, that used to say that uh, no, no one voice or not, not one voice should, uh, ra- should rise above uh, the voice of, of the big battle against Israel and imperialism mm-hmm. and the West and etc. In mm-hmm. the name of this, in the name of this kind of grand politics and grand political scheme, in fact, probably most of these states, even the Gulf frontier states, have completely ignored uh, the basic needs, the dynamics, the ambitions, the 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 uh, the, the, the I mean the the envies and and the projects of their own citizens for a better governance, for a normal life, for. Uh, a a normalized relation with the West, with the world, in fact, not only the West, and uh, societies that uh, uh, also need uh, margins of of breath, of of respiration, Mm -hmm. of freedom, of expression, and etc. I think that today, and I completely agree with you, all this is coming to an age and uh, probably to aging and probably dying. Today, I think that we are living for the last 10 years, and this is probably the reading I would have of the last decade of Arab revolutions, we are living, uh, we are living the, the endless agony of, uh, of the old state system and mm-hmm. the old political construct in the region. The problem is that there is an agony, but there's not a birth uh, in, in mm-hmm. uh, facing that. And the, you, you don't see the new, uh, the new system, the new shape, uh, taking shape, in fact, uh, and you have a kind of endless miasm uh, within which you have uh, this this kind of uh, of very dark period that we can maybe sometimes compare to dark ages or dark periods elsewhere in the world. And this is an endless transition that is both uh, very worrying, very painful for people who are living it, but for analysts and observers like us, that is very fascinating because it is something that is is full of findings and and teachings and takeaways in terms of political science, sociology, economy, and etc. Yeah, and this brings up one of the points which is, I think, very important to IFI and many other institutions um, in, in good universities around the region and around the world, which is the fact that you cannot study these governance systems or the political economy or any aspect of these modern states or the contemporary states in the Arab world by looking just at one sector. You know, in the old days, people used Mm -hmm. to study the status of women or the growth of the Mm -hmm. productive economic sector uh, or the protection of water resources. But now you have to look at multiple dimensions altogether, Mm -hmm. human, environmental, and economic, and military, and ideological, and religious. So how do you come to this now as, as you run the Assam Faris Institute, which has at its fingertips all the resources of the AUB faculty, so you could pull mm-hmm. in professors from many, many different dimensions. How do you take advantage of mm-hmm. the fact that you are at AUB 
And the analysis, the, 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 an effective analysis of the Arab world or any Arab country, if you just take Lebanon, must rely on many, many different kinds of expertise. Yeah, your question is, in fact, music to my ear, because this is exactly the, let's say, the, the enormous, the huge, uh, let's say, block and opportunity that that one, that the person that is leading IFI, and you've been one of these persons, uh, have, <laughs> and, and uh, the, the enormous, uh, let's say, pool of resources that AUB is offering in order to tackle these questions. Uh, to, to, uh, be, before answering what we do at IFI and how we do it, um, and to prolong a little bit the reflection that we, that we had a few minutes ago, uh, you know, um, the, we were talking about this kind of um, primacy of, of politics in the Arab world and the fact that the state was over and above, uh, in a way, crushing the society and society's dynamics. In fact, when you look at, at the literature in political science on the Arab world, on the region, for a very long time, it was mainly state-driven and state-focused. Uh, mm -hmm. Society was absent. We, we, we didn't really study society. We studied maybe uh, global macroeconomics, political economy, the rent system. We studied the military elite. We studied constitutional law when there was constitutions. But everything societal was completely absent. And today society is... Uh, back to the forefront. And this is probably one of the main lessons of the last 10 years. And exactly as you said, when you say society, you say a, 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 a multiple uh, array of things and a multi-layered, uh, let's say, construction of where you have education, you have uh, uh, job creation, you have energy, you have consumption, you have uh, the imaginary, the cultural uh, mm -hmm. creation and production, you have uh, uh, urban life and day-to-day -day, uh, transportation, housing, etc., etc. And yes. all this is now at, at really the core of the study of politics in this region, and uh, it was not the case. So right. uh, when you have to face that at an institution like IFI uh, that aims in fact to study both the political uh, the, the public policy aspect of things and the macro international regional politics of things mm -hmm. uh, you need to have this kind of uh, very extensive uh, resource at your disposal in order to do it so for example and this is exactly what uh, today is my let's say my mission and and probably my ambition also for mm -hmm. IFI is to reopen up the walls or at least to, 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 to bridge the, to, to, to build the bridges, mm -hmm. uh, between IFI and the many and the various departments at the AUB, because all of them have something to say to what we study. For example, yes. let me give you one example only. Today, for example, we have just launched a, uh, a small uh, track to uh, project about the economic crisis in Lebanon mm -hmm. to tackle this issue of, you know, the bank restructuring, yes. uh, macroeconomy, the collapse and etc. In fact, when you delve into that, when you delve into that, you start seeing how much you need, for example, people coming from the business administration, the school of business administration mm -hmm. to tell you a little bit more about 
the labor market and the job creation, uh, the, the uh, intricacies of banking. You need people from the agricultural department to tell you more about what can be the productive sector in the country, how can you transform some uh, forgotten or neglected agricultural sectors in the country into new and productive ones. Uh, you have to look at things that you were not using to look before, to look at before, like, for example, mental health and right. the, the state of uh, mm -hmm. the state of youth in the country and uh, not only their need or their envy to emigrate because they don't find jobs, but because they feel alienated, humiliated, uh, without any horizon and etc. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I can, I can multiply things and examples. So uh, this is why I think, and, and it's, it could be my main message here in this, in this podcast mm -hmm. for AUB. Mm -hmm. I think that AUB has to, AUB people, the faculty, uh, graduate students, and probably the leadership, but uh, I think that they are aware of that, that in fact, this is an unprecedented opportunity that we have to have this fantastic pool of resources, these uh, talents that we have under our own hands in order to be tapped into and, uh, and put at work in order to envisage the contours, not only of tomorrow's Lebanon, but of uh, the, the Arab world of the future of the coming uh, one, two, three decades. Uh, we have this extraordinary luck that we don't have to go very far away in yes. order to find people who can tell us something about, uh, I don't know, the medical system, mm -hmm. uh, the economy, agriculture, uh, mm -hmm. the cybersecurity, you can, I mean, you name it, you see, you have mm -hmm. all these. So we have these resources. And what I would like to convey today is uh, the, the need and the, the, also the, the, the great benefit that we have if we harness all this into certain directions of uh, envisaging the future and the contours of the future. Again, mm -hmm. not only for Lebanon, because we have to uh, also get used to this idea that our country or any country is not anymore functioning in isolation, but right. uh, uh, to think about the interactions between uh, uh, Lebanon, the region and the broader, uh, the broader world and the new, the new powers and the new forces that are, that are rising elsewhere other than in the West only. Well, well just a word to our listeners um, who may have just joined. If you're wondering who is this person talking about multiple dimensions of life in Arab, regional, international countries in many sectors, my guest is uh, Professor Joseph Bahout, director of the Isam Faris Institute of Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut, and we're discussing how an institute like the Hassan Faris Institute deals with the ch incredible challenges of Lebanon and the region, uh, but also has the incredible resources at its fingertips with the five or six hundred research professors uh, at AUB. Uh, Joseph, one question I'd like to ask you uh, about this is, so you can draw on incredible uh, talent at AUB and knowledge um, but when you come up with a study or an analysis and you have some policy proposals, what is your understanding of the manner in which an institution like IFI can impact policy? You talk about the vision for the future uh, and a new Lebanon and the Arab region. How does that new vision come into being and what is the role mm -hmm. that we can play? We, we can publish papers, hold seminars, but what is the next step? to bring about change as far as you mm -hmm. can tell. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a crucial question. Without disclosing, I mean, uh, secrets of mm-hmm. our conversations, you and me, Rami, mm-hmm. uh, I, I remember, I still remember then that, that you told me that one of the first things you've started when you were director of IFI mm-hmm. was to, to conduct a study of, uh, of public pol- a comparative study of public mm-hmm. policies in the Arab world mm-hmm. and to see how uh, in every country public policy is, uh, is designed. Mm-hmm. And the crucial crucial question here and the core question is how you translate uh, knowledge, academic or professional knowledge into uh, public policy, into political decision. And this is still, I I should say, uh, an enigma to me. Mm -hmm. It's an enigma because I think both sides of the spectrum are um, a bit uh, estranged towards each other. The uh, academics and specialists uh, feel that they uh, only have to produce something. And then uh, once it's produced or put out, uh, it becomes, let's say, common uh, sense to use it and to transform it and to translate it into, into political decision and policymaking. And this is not the case. And on no. the other side of the spectrum, uh, rulers, decision makers, uh, politicians, etc., feel that they don't feel uh, that they don't need this kind of uh, of knowledge, and in fact, they have the technocracy, they have the technostructure of the state, they can borrow uh, external consultants also in some parts of of the world, and the Arab world is today uh, a part of the world where this is uh, uh, more and more uh, done. And in fact, there's no dialogue between these two two forces or these two clusters. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is also lacking, uh, I think, and this is probably the lesson of the last 10 years, uh, it's that you have also a third actor that is missing there, which is, uh, we call it broadly civil society, okay, because this mm-hmm. has become a cliche, but it's in fact, uh, let's call it the, the milieu of people who are in between uh, the knowledge producers and, and policymakers, people who will, in fact, widen the awareness in society about certain issues, uh, people who can diffuse the message, uh, communicators, opinion makers, journalists, uh, professors at university, etc., mm-hmm. uh, etc. Et and this is, I think, the third pillar of what I call or what we should start to call a policy dialogue. And the fourth one is today, because we're in a globalized world, we're in a very integrated world, and in this region and Lebanon in particular, we're still very dependent of uh, foreign investment and foreign funding. You have Mm -hmm. the international community, international donors, be them uh, the IMF, the World Bank, uh, UN agencies, um, uh, multilaterals with which uh, we have a, a constant dialogue and the need for, uh, let's say, harnessing support and etc. Mm-hmm. So I think that a, a sound policy dialogue, to answer your question, uh, could not, I don't think it can succeed and lead somewhere if you don't have these four pillars, uh, producers of knowledge and, and expertise, Policymakers who will translate this into uh, laws, legislations, decisions, and etc. Civil mm-hmm. society without which this will uh, remain fragile and inexistent. And then the international community that has to be both a receptor and also sometimes a prescriptor of, of policy or, or uh, advice, consultancy, expertise, and etc. So I think that if you can 
put around the table these four actors and and put these four pillars together, I think that we can start to have a proper policy dialogue about each and every uh, field and subject that uh, that is in fact on the table in Lebanon and in in the region. Okay, we only have about a minute or two left, uh, Joseph. Uh, let me ask you a tough question. If you had to focus only on one main theme or one main area in the coming two years, let's say, um, of all the different challenges that we face in front of us in the region, what do you think, from your knowledge and your expertise, is the is the single most important one that could unlock uh, progress uh, across the board in terms of reform and building stable, productive states? Oh, this is a very tough question because, uh, first mm-hmm. of all, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I have the answer right now, but also because uh, there's a huge sacrifice to make here because you have to pick yes, one and let course. alone uh, let let aside others. But I would say that probably I would I would choose something that would encompass a lot of things, something like uh, probably uh, the reform of educational systems, because mm-hmm. there you can touch upon the changes in technology. Uh, you can touch upon uh, job creation and labor markets. You can touch upon citizenship building. You can touch upon uh, peace building and, and, and let's say, uh, this building stability in the region. And mm-hmm. also you touch upon things of the future because, in fact, ultimately, all what we are doing today has no meaning and no sense if it's not uh, uh, um, thought about in, in a forward-looking perspective and a, a thinking for tomorrow. Because I think that we know a lot of, uh, of things about today and yesterday, but we uh, really have hard time figuring out how we are going to lead our societies and our countries um, for the future and for a better one. So wow. I think that I would focus on that with an eye probably on uh, on the international dynamics of education and seeing how the world is transforming with things like uh, artificial intelligence, uh, cyber right. issues, climate change, uh, new jobs created, uh, new curriculas right. and, uh, and things like that. Well, with that, we have to bring this to a close. We've run out of time. Uh, but it's uh, quite uh, appropriate that you mention reform of education systems uh, because I recall at the beginning of my career in the early 1970s in the Arab region in Lebanon and Jordan and Palestine that there was a big push for education reform and it's been going on for almost 50 years and we don't seem to have made much progress. So you've clearly mm-hmm. identified a central, chronic, pivotal uh, element uh, in the modern Arab state system, and we will come back to you sometime down the road and talk again about this after you've had more time to harness your uh, colleagues and resources. All right, we've run out of time. Our guest has been Professor Hopefully. Joseph Bahout. Joseph Bahout is the director of the Islam Faris Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at AUB and an associate professor uh, in the political science, political studies, and public administration department. Thank you so much for being with us, Joseph. Thank you so much to, for having me, Rami. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. And thank you to our audience. Join me again next week for another uh, edition uh, of Professors at Work. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.